difference that makes to make that and listen to it? Um, yeah, let's try it now. Holy crap, it made a huge difference. We have multiple degrees between us, but we're always foiled by technology. This is like our millennial anthem. I don't understand. Pretend I have that thing on my guitar that shoots flames out that Pete has at Fall Out Boy concerts. Oh God. See, this is why we start recording early, so we capture these gems. All the zaniness of uh, our wit. Speaking of zaniness, uh, we have to start with a little bit of a correction. Oh, boy. You you said the correct show last week when you referenced Ghost Hunters. Oh, yes. But we are so unfortunately lost in the Zach Bagan sauce that we immediately went to Ghost Adventures. Oh, yes. Those are two different ones. They are two different ones because I went to watch that episode of Ghost Hunters and I was like, oh, I got it. It's not Ghost Adventures. It's Ghost Hunters. And then I watched Steve and uh, was it? I don't. You don't know that show. I, I think his name's Dave yeah. Tango. I I don't know. Stephen, whatever the skinny guy's name is, like stir up ghosts by playing a violin really terribly and doing a weird like goblin dance on the stage. Rude. And I hated it and I turned it off. Well, the sentiment was correct. Agreed. It just was geared towards the wrong person. Yeah. For now, I just. If there's somebody else who wants to watch or, like, hate watch Ghost Adventures or whatever, I just want them to be able to hate watch the correct thing. It's not to say, like, we're two spooky gals, but we just, I guess, ghost hunting shows, I I don't watch them personally. Um, I love spooky stuff, obviously, but I am kind of a baby and I don't want to go into haunted places. I don't, like the weird spooky vibes I get from them. I want to go home and like sleep well at night. So yeah, I'm a baby and I won't lie. I I wouldn't go into like Mansfield reformatory for a whole evening. I'd be like, no, no, thank you. That's not my jam. I, uh, I mean, I am also a baby, but I think it's, I was reading something recently about how like people with anxiety and depression are drawn to horror because it is a safe way to self-regulate your dysregulated nervous system. Ah. Like, you know that there's always going to be a safe outcome. And so when your body is like, oh my God, we're dying. I'm being chased by a bear. This is (laughs) terrible. But it's because you had to send an email. Then you watch someone survive something stressful and you have that catharsis and your body's like, oh, okay, we're out of it now. I can feel better. And so I think that is why I like ghost hunting shows. I also used to for a living give ghost tours. That's true. That's true. I don't have that background. Um, so that might be why I don't enjoy watching them. It's fair. You've also never been sexually harassed by a ghost, which I'm pretty sure happened to me. So N- No, I, I can't claim that. That would be weird. Though supposedly... According to my family, my childhood home might be slightly haunted, but by like people that used to live there. So uh, the closest like ghost experience I would have had would have been like my great great grandma watching me sleep, which is like not terrible. 
She's the ghost. She's the ghost. Okay. I was waiting for more to it because I was like, oh, your great great grandma was there. And then what did you guys see? Oh, well, wait. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's she's her. she's okay. the ghost. Like, That's I, nice. Yeah. I like was laying in bed and then I woke up and I had my eyes like, you know, halfway open because you're like, eh, what time is it? What year is it? And then I like rolled over and I saw like a red haired lady standing over my bed. And I'm like, hmm. And then I opened my eyes fully because I'm like, wait, what? And then I didn't see anything. And I went, hmm, that's weird. And then my dad's like, yeah, that's your great grandma. I'm like, cool. That's, I mean, that's like comforting though. That's nice. Yeah. It's not, like I said, it's not terrible. Um, I grew up with like a lot of like porcelain dolls and other like things that would be considered kind of spooky. We had some taxidermy in my house too. When I say taxidermy, it, I always think of like bears, squirrels, wild, big wild animals. We had fish, like nothing too too spooky, but we still had taxidermy animals at my what's house. What's the, what's the, what's the fish fillet fish, <laughs> the big oh. mouth bass, Billy the big mouth <laughs> yeah. bass, or whatever his name is? We did have one of those too. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I can't do taxidermy. I immediately turn into. Ace Ventura and when nature calls and I'm like this is a lovely room of death and then I have to excuse myself yeah I I don't have any in my house now because I don't do taxidermy but I did grow up with that kind of stuff in my house so yeah. no you just have Alf with a surfboard and multiple Chuckies and Freddy staring at us while we record those are not mine well Alf's kind of mine it was bought with the intention of like He's he's there for me. Uh, I lay no claim to the other uh, horror items in this room. They're not mine either. They're her husband's. Yes. We're just going to clarify that. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't just magically appear. But yeah, so that's our, our slate corrections corner. Please don't yell at us. Maybe you already did. I don't know. Maybe you're Maybe you're the guys that I just made fun of on Ghost Hunters and you found this and now you hate us. But... Um, I stand by what I said. That episode was terrible. Where was Grant? Where was Grant? He was my favorite of you always. Jason's cool, but there was no Grant. I was over it. I just want to say, if you guys are from that show, thank you for hate watching us and listening to us. So It was really appropriate that we've gone on this weird hate watching riff right before what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. And I just put it together and I promise it was not intentional. It was not intentional. So <laughs> here we are today uh, with our second episode. Very exciting. And uh, as always, I'm Beth. And I'm Britta. And uh, you're here with the Lake Erie Library. And today we are going to talk about some true crime. Uh, this is considered one of the greatest unsolved mysteries of the state of Ohio, which is, I think, kind of interesting. And we're going to talk about the Circleville letter mystery, which is... Before we start and get into it, can I just say, it sounds, when you say Circleville Letter Mystery, it sounds like, one, because not only do I read spooky stuff, I also read, like, romance novels, so it sounds like this would be, like, the beginning of a meet-cute for, like, a cute romance novel where letters are sent back and forth. It truly sounds like the beginning of, like, a BBC4 cozy mystery show with, like, Oh no, Eunice, I've lost all the post. 
The post has fallen in the creek. How are we going to get everyone's Christmas letters back? Jane, I have no idea. We have to go find... Wait, I found a goose print. We have to go find the goose. And then the goose is voiced by, like, I don't know, like Jack Davenport or someone with a deliciously deep British man voice. Matthew McFadden. I don't know. What is he doing after succession anyway? (laughs) Maybe we should pitch this to him. (laughs) So... Yeah, it sounds like really nice, but it's it's a pretty wild story that we're going to get into. And um, we're going to start with just I'm going to talk to you about the city of Circleville, first of all. Um, they're the county seat of Pickaway County. They have a population of 13,927 as of the 2020 census. This started in the 70s. So back then it would have been like 12,000 people. They literally have a water tower painted like a giant pumpkin. And that is because they are home to the Circleville Pumpkin Show, the biggest festival in the United States dedicated to pumpkin. This is fair because their attendance, like last time they did it, it's a free festival. It's over four days long. They had over 400,000 people flood the city of Circleville. Yeah, I looked at their website. For, I still have it pulled up to give like some info at the end of the episode, but... um. Their website for the pumpkin show is, it claims that they're like the third largest festival in the United States, which I want to see how they compare it to the Gettysburg Apple Festival, because I know that's like huge too. So I feel like that's probably also in the top three somewhere, but. This is also just very Midwestern of us to be like, ah, yes, the Circle, uh, the Circleville Pumpkin Fest, great time. Like, you know, there's always like an apple festival, a corn festival, uh, strawberry festival, strawberry festival, watermelon, watermelon festival. festival. What's up, Mylan? <laughs> so, like everywhere, everywhere is different. Like festivals, we got even uh, the famous one with Dick Goddard, the Wooly Bear Festival. Yeah, I just feel like if you're not having a fall festival in the state of Ohio, let alone the Midwest in the fall, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Anyways, so let's start. Let's begin. So. The letters, uh, which are deemed from the author, the Circleville writer, began in 1976. Uh, The first letter went to bus driver Mary Gillespie, and it was handwritten and accused her of having an affair with the superintendent, which was Gordon uh, Massey. Yeah, Massey. And the letter had no return address, and the post, it was postmarked from Columbus. So Mary got this letter. It's like this incriminating letter that's like, I know you're sleeping with your husband and I or not your husband. <laughs> I know you're sleeping with your <laughs> I know you're sleeping with your husband. Please keep it down. <laughs> that would be so tame compared to what I'm uh, yeah. going to tell you. So this letter is like I know you have children, I know you have a family, I know you're like basically breaking up your family because you're sleeping with the superintendent of the school. She herself was a bus driver for the school system, so this was, you know, pretty pretty wild I have some of them I'm trying to see if I have that first letter so while you're looking at that um she kept that letter to herself at first she's like okay this is perturbing I don't want to deal with it but I think this is a okay that stay away from Massey and this is you're probably going to go into this later but it is it's handwritten it's all in like these block letters 
and it's on the lined paper where like when you learn in elementary school how to make your letters and it has three lines for like each right, row right and it's taking up all three lines so there's also no punctuation except for like colons and a few periods so it says stay away from massey don't lie when questioned about knowing him i know where you live i've been observing your house and know you have children this is no joke please take it serious everyone concerned has been notified and everything will be over soon so she was like okay that's disturbing so then eight days later she got another letter and then ron her husband got one so once ron got one you know they were like talking to one she's like i'm not having an affair she's like reassuring him like this is fake accusations and then they also told their brother-in-law paul fresh hour i think it's fresh hour he was married to karen sue who was ron gillespie's sister yes so cast of characters so far you got the superintendent gordon Maisie, massey massey gordon massey you got uh, mary the bus driver mary gillespie who is married to ron gillespie and then karen sue is ron's sister and she is married to paul freshhour and then I saw that they also told Paul's sister. And those were the only people that they told about it. I, I won't lie. As we dig into this, I'm sure, and as we compare notes, there are some inconsistencies in the research. And it's a little frustrating, which also I think adds to the mystery of it because we have not figured out who was the writer of this. There are theories, but there's no definitive, like, this is the person who did it. So they decided, you know, these were weird letters, but then more of them arrived. So they kind of told one another, they're like, okay, but then more arrived. And they started to get more threatening in nature. They threatened to go public with the affair and uh, they wanted to announce it over CB radio, TVs, and billboards. I think I have the letter for that. Um, Defender, you are also hard to read this one uh inform the school board on cbs posters signs billboards only pick rides motorcycles so essentially they were they were threatening more and more so then mary theorized that the letters were because they were like who could be writing this mary theorized that these letters were coming from another bus driver that they were like a jilted crush i won't call him a lover because mary didn't have a relationship with them like this person this other bus driver like you know hit on her and was trying to make a move and mary's like no thank you so paul turned around and was like well i'll write a letter to who we think is the person and we'll claim we know who you are and um for a few weeks this seemed to work and the letter stopped they also one of the things i, I forgot to mention is that as things were starting to escalate, they wanted to include the letters we're talking about, including signs about uh, the daughter. So Mary's, Mary and Ron's daughter, her name is Tracy. She was 12 at the time. Yeah. And they claimed that they were going to write signs that said that Ma- uh, Massey and Tracy were having a relationship, which is pretty like incendiary, especially this is 1976. Yeah. Like, Some of these letters are like, really i mean later it it gets pointed out that there were no like 
truly direct threats against Gillespie herself in these letters, but there is one that says they're going to come and, like, shoot her daughter in the head. Right, right. Like, they're not... So, as I said, Circleville letters sounds like they would be, like, nice and cute and sweet, but they're they're none of that. They're all very... They're kind of dark. So, the letters seem to stop for a few weeks. Great. But then, which is also weird... Uh, on August 19th, 1977, I say that's weird because it's like a close to an anniversary date of when we're recording this. Yeah, Wild. by the time you're listening to it, this is well in the past, but this is literally a day after that when we're recording. So uh, Ron received a phone call from the Circleville writer. And in fact, this call upset Ron so much and it also seemed to confirm his suspicions of the writer's identity. Um, so the writer claimed that he was in his in Ron's yard, like watching him. So then Ron was like, all right. So he grabbed his gun and then he took his truck and he left the property, even though the writer said he was on the property watching him. So then Ron, a few minutes later, was found dead. And he was found dead in his truck, which had crashed into a tree nearby. Investigators were looking into this because obviously that's pretty wild. And they found one bullet discharged from Ron's gun before he crashed. But they also found that his blood alcohol content was twice the legal limit. So he had been like drinking heavily before he had crashed his car. And which, according to his family, was not normal for him like he was not a heavy drinker right so that was that was one thing that was off also even though the gun was fired there was no casing found at the scene of the the death and the crash the sheriff found ron's death as an accident he's he's like there's literally nothing else that like proves it otherwise um and he said that he died by hitting his crashing his car into a tree Paul, however, thought that this was murder. He thought that there was foul play afoot here. And soon after Ron's death, other residents started receiving letters stating that Sheriff Radcliffe was involved in covering up Ron's murder. And that also Mary and Gordon... Uh, Massey. Massey, who, who ironically were not having an affair before the letters happened but they got together after the letters started being sent out so these new letters after ron's death were claiming that mary and gordon were behind ron's death and that the sheriff was covering it up yeah there's i think that's what this one is it's like they are still together. Two teenage boys seen what happened. You always use high speed for elimin and this is elimination is spelled incorrectly. Elimination of someone. If you must get rid of them, you don't fire shots for drinking. There were many booby traps at the schools, but no one could admit it for public scare. They can now. Signs and letters will not stop. Mary was not a teacher, only a bus driver. Ratcliffe does not ha- allow media unless approved by him. There are signs in Grove City restaurants. The police lied. So, um, pretty, pretty incendiary claims here. Um, but according to Paul, initially the sheriff thought that there was foul play involved in Ron's death. 
and uh, he changed his mind because he had like a suspect in mind, but he took the suspect for a polygraph test and the suspect passed the polygraph test. He wasn't lying. So he's like, well, you know, I can't throw him in jail if I think he passed a polygraph test. I'm not really sure. I how often are polygraph tests used? Like how accurate are those? I they're not incredibly accurate. Like I don't they they can use them, I guess, in terms of like when they're interrogating people. It seems like more as like an intimidation thing where you can be like, Oh, well you didn't pass the polygraph test, so I know you're lying, but there's so many there's so many reasons why you might not get an accurate baseline. Like right. Like, if I you're anxious, you, like, yeah. I feel like you would not get an accurate baseline. If I were accused of a crime that I knew I did not commit and I was being forced to take a polygraph test, you can bet my heart rate would be through the roof. So I cannot imagine that they would get, like, a normal reading on me to then judge anything yeah. else by. They'd be like, she's lying about not even doing anything. <laughs> I asked if she was sitting in a chair and she said yes, and it's a lie. <laughs> so... You know, this was also in the 70s, so I don't know how, like, criminal justice has changed over the years. We have different technology now than we did in the 70s. Like, we have, you know, DNA and all that stuff now. But they they let go of the suspect anyways. So then letters still kind of came came and went and they and they didn't just didn't affect Mary. They also affected other people and they also accused them of, like, other heinous things. But then in February of 1983, Mary was beginning to be harassed on her bus route. So threatening signs were placed on the road. It got to the point where she was just like, she was sick and tired of it. They were, they were threatening her. They were talking about her daughter, Tracy, who, you know, was a little bit older, but still a teenager at the time. So one day she decided to rip one down. And this is, this is pretty uh, wild. And she found a booby trap behind the sign and it was found that it was a box that contained a small pistol. So had she not ripped the box off the way she did, she would have been shot. Um, it was probably intended to at least maim her, if not kill her. Correct. And she, she took the box home with her and then showed it to the police, which is how this takes the turn that it does. Yes. <laughs> so she, so the police investigate the box and they find they investigate the gun um, because the thinking is whoever uh, the gun belongs to would have wrote the letters. Uh, there was even a bad attempt on the gun to have the serial numbers like rubbed off, but they were still able to find out who the gun belonged to. It belonged to da 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 Paul, <laughs> Mary's brother-in-law. Well, yeah. Yeah. Ex-brother-in-law since Ron is... Well, yes. At this time that this is happening, Paul and Karen Sue were going through a divorce. And it was... Nasty, A really nasty divorce. Like, to the point where they had three children and, like, the daughters were, like, sort of, like, forced to take sides in this. And then they have a son who sort of... Well, we don't know. This is speculation, but like people have said that Karen Sue kind of made it impossible for him to be on his dad's side about anything. And so he he kind of distanced himself from his father at that point. Right. Paul claimed that the gun was stolen and Paul was like, it wasn't me. Um, And he was claiming innocence this entire process. The sheriff, however, did have Paul come in and had him do a handwriting test. Paul 
failed the handwriting test because they found that Paul's handwriting and the handwriting of the letters were a match. Now, the letters are written in like blocky letters, so I I am not a handwriting expert. I cannot claim any validity to I have to this. some information about this later once we get through yeah. this. But uh, they did have a handwriting expert witness look at Paul's handwriting and the letters handwriting. And this expert handwriting person said, yeah, these are a match. Um, so Paul was arrested and put to trial for not for the actual letter writing that was just used as evidence he was put to trial for the attempted murder of his sister-in-law mary now i will say mary and them at first thought that was kind of wild that it did belong the gun belonged to paul because at that point there's no real motive for paul to have wanted to kill mary yeah they were like in- incredibly close yeah like it was you know these two couples these two families that sort of did everything together they were related it was a big extended family and uh there was really no no signs of animosity or hatred or anything right especially because like if you think about it when the letters were first happening it was paul that's like i'm gonna write a letter back and we're gonna we're gonna fix this we're gonna finish this right and he also when they brought him in for questioning about this like he completely complied on every aspect he like didn't fight he's like yes i'll take a polygraph yes i'll give you handwriting samples i didn't do this so for him to so willingly go along with right this right like is, is strange if he is in fact the letter writer and the person who tried to kill his sister-in-law right unfortunately he as i said he failed the handwriting test he was arrested and charged with attempted murder um and then in october he went he went to trial for attempted murder and then he was he wasn't charged with writing the letters, but he was uh, charged with the attempted murder. So he went to jail. They said between seven and twenty five years, <laughs> which is a a long sentence. However, the letter writing didn't stop once Paul went to jail, and actually Paul got letters while he was in jail. He was in a correctional institute based out of Lima and the letter still had um, the postmarking from Columbus. So, and so he got letters and he's in solitary confinement. So there's the, you know, correctional institutes like he's in solitary confinement because we don't want him to have pen and paper, but there's no way that he could be writing these letters. Yeah. And I mean, even if he was allowed any time out of solitary, like you have no privacy when you're, in a facility like that your your mail gets read and looked through anything that you send out gets inspected so it would have been almost impossible for him to be writing these letters or getting them out and having someone send them from columbus but there is some speculation that he might have mass produced letters before he went to jail and then (laughs) had someone send them while he was in but that doesn't explain why he would then also send them to himself i guess unless it was to throw people off the scent (laughs) but like this one is it's like mocking him it says fresh hour now when are you going to believe you aren't getting out of there i told you two years ago when we set them up they stay set up don't you listen at all no one wants you out no one the joke is on you ha ha tell no one of this letter i saw the paper great news great the sheriff loved it ha ha do you believe it now do you 
God. It's very mocking. Oh, God. Um, so the letters did, they started to dwindle um, by the 90s. So, you know, like they, they were still happening throughout the 80s because this was 83. He... Uh, he actually didn't get an early release from prison. He was like a good prisoner, a, a, what they call a model prisoner, but he did not get released for good behavior because of the letters. Yeah, the first time he came up for parole, they denied it because the letters were still being sent. Like, oh God, terrible. So eventually, Paul was released in 1994 and still maintained his innocence throughout the entire process. Yeah, he actually asked he like went to the fbi and asked them to reopen this case to help prove his innocence when he got out right he actually passed away in 2012 so he he never found out the the identity of the writers and unfortunately that he never really got his name cleared either of being a potential letter writer i think he he just understood that like this was never going to be separated from him probably even if he did prove his own innocence because he said at one point something along the lines like even when I'm in my grave people are still gonna say it's me right like we're talking about it now this continued there was actually in the 90s um unsolved mysteries was uh made and filmed and actually with unsolved mysteries a letter was a postcard not a whole letter but a postcard was written to unsolved mysteries that said Forget Circleville, Ohio. Do nothing to hurt Sheriff Radcliffe. If you come to Ohio, you L sickos will pay the Circleville writer. There's also a lot of colons instead of... It. So there is some punctuation, but it's all like... That's that's the only punctuation is just colons and like there's maybe two periods I saw in any of them. Other than that, there's no punctuation. But it's almost like a telegram like forget Circleville, Ohio. Stop. stop. Yeah. <laughs> Full stop. It's wild. Um, so they so they like looked into it in two thousand six. Another another investigator looked into it. Uh, their name is. Um, hold on a second. Let me pull it up. I watched the Unsolved Mysteries episode of this. You can find it on YouTube. I'm not encouraging like piracy of any part for legal reasons, but. You can just type it into YouTube and the full episode is on there. Which then brought up like memories of my childhood of like how disturbing <laughs> the beginning mysteries. of Unsolved Mysteries always was. So Martin Yant, who uh, is an investigator, s- suggests that there were actually three letter writers, none who were Paul. Um, so he he believes that one was the superintendent uh, son, so Gordon's son, who Mary had an affair with. The second letter writer was a co-worker who was infatuated with Mary, so that would have been the bus driver. Um, the third was believed to be uh, Karen Sue, Ron's ex-wife. It's believed. So on the day of the booby trap, Paul actually had a alibi. Um, but the evidence there was there was a witness who saw somebody putting up the sign and it didn't match Paul's description no so it was another bus driver Mm -hmm. who went on the route roughly 20 minutes before Mary drove through and she saw the sign and she said that she saw a large sandy-haired man 
standing next to an El Camino. I just heard my stomach gurgle, so I apologize if that came through <laughs> on like the most dramatic part of this. So it was a sandy-haired man in an El Camino, and she said that as she drove by, he turned around like he was like peeing, so she couldn't see him. But she did see this man who did not fit Paul's description and this El Camino, which at the time, Karen Sue's brother owned an El Camino that looked like that. And Mm. Karen Sue had a boyfriend who was a large, sandy haired man. Mm. So, uh, you know, even though there was evidence to the contrary that Paul did not write these letters uh, the police still maintained that Paul did it the case was also parodied on drunk history <laughs> I just watched it today <laughs> it's, it so, it's so good oh, it's um I feel bad oh she used to be on Saturday Night Live and I can't remember her name but she's like the Mary Gillespie character in it and the person who's doing the drunk history it's Georgia Harstark from oh, my favorite murder okay okay yeah it's really good I'll have to watch it's it. really stupid but it's really good <laughs> and it's the same episode it's they start at like an unsolved mysteries episode and it's drunk history drunk mystery <laughs> and they talk about agatha christie staging her own disappearance and nice. um there's a there's like a third one that was in it too it was very funny though and then you watched the 48 hour episode as well i did watch the 48 hours and that's there's a lot of information that i wrote down from that because i knew you hadn't seen it so um they go into it on the 48 hours episode about how initially before Paul was considered a suspect, Karen Sue went to the police and told them that it was her husband. And the reason she had for this was that she said she found a letter torn up in the toilet as though he was trying to get rid of it and that she found other letters in the house. But it was also very convenient to say if Karen Sue herself was writing the letters and was trying to frame her husband right. while they were going through a terrible divorce. Right. Because at that point, Karen Sue would have motive, right? Like, husband's away, like, they're getting divorced, so right. she would get stuff out of the divorce, I would imagine. Yeah. And so if he was in jail, she'd essentially get everything, including, like, you know, her kids back because her daughters were kind of, like split on the matter especially with the divorce and also it would make sense if she for some reason got a bee in her bonnet that her sister-in-law was cheating on her brother that she would start sending these letters to her but there's also a person interviewed in the 48 hours episode um her name is pam i'm gonna see if i wrote down her last name somewhere pam stanton she was a family friend of the fresh hours she was you know she was like a a kid or a young adult at this time she called paul like uncle paul he was like a second dad to her she still to this day maintains that he's innocent and so she said that karen sue had this kind of a like a bullying nature to her and when unsolved mysteries came to town to film the interviews Mm -hmm. pam claims that karen sue sat in her car across the street from where they were interviewing people and took pictures and wrote down the names of every single person who went in to talk and she like would do this she would make notes of like you know things that were had pta meetings like oh well so-and-so said this and did that and so that was just sort of her nature of knowing everybody's business 
which all small towns have a busybody, right? Yeah. And so this also kind of adds fuel to the argument that it was her because she would know all of this. Right. She has all this information about people. She's going to send it, send letters to them. So, again, this is all speculation. There's no proof that it's Karen Sue, but this is one possible theory. Another thing that Pam brought up is that Paul, at some point, said to someone before the booby-trapped sign that he thought Mark, his son, had stolen his gun. Oh. And then this gun ends up right in this attempted murder. Right. And mom, we as we know, mom was also swaying uh, son, Mark, Co- for... Correct. Various reasons. And the whole time that Paul was in jail, Mark never visited him in prison. He told Pam, I just can't, and would not elaborate on why he was not allowed to. And when it was asked to her, well, like, why wouldn't Paul say that then to save himself? She's no, no. Uncle Paul would rather die than see Mark go to jail. He would never do that. And so it is her her thought that he he took the rap and went to jail to keep his own son out. And then, um, sadly, in 2002, on September 11th, they actually they found Mark's body floating in the Scioto River nearby, oh. and he had died by a self-inflicted gunshot wound. And so Pam believes that was Mark's way of finally being free of the guilt of what happened that he had carried for so long. And his mother, Karen Sue, at that time said that he had been struggling with depression for years prior mm-hmm. to this. So this all kind of adds weight to that same argument. On the 48 Hours special, they did have two handwriting analyses analyses <laughs> during the trial they had agreed that there were similar similarities between the letters and Paul's handwriting right with 48 hours they asked former FBI profiler Mary Ellen O'Toole to look at the letters this is like her career she did this with like the is it the Green River killer oh okay and she also gotcha. worked on like the Unabomber case you know just like yeah, low so she, profile cases. she knows her stuff. Oh. <laughs> so she is she is fairly certain that it was one person who wrote all of the letters. She thinks that it's a female because they kept using this manipulative language for the reader of saying, like, I'm the boyfriend of a woman or my girl. And the way it was used throughout the letters, it felt very much like, I want you to think that I am not a woman. I want you to think I'm a man. Interesting. So she thinks that's intentional. She examined 98 letters and she studied the word choices and the grammar. And What grammar? <laughs> right. Well, and she's, she deduct, deduced from that that it's not a highly educated person, which is another count against Paul because he had a master's degree. He was a manager at like his work. Was it Anheuser-Busch? Is that where he worked? That sounds right. So it, this is an educated man. But and these as these letters, as we told you, have grammatical errors. They have spelling errors. They have no punctuation. Correct. And so she also said, you can tell that this writer is really enjoying themselves and they don't care that they're hurting people. And normally that indicates that they they have some kind of personality disorder. And this pro- this probably would have also been a person who in their everyday life would be sort of a bully or intimidating, Hmm. which Hmm. does not describe Paul at all. No, no. It does sort of describe Karen Sue, though. 
Hmm. Look, look, we are obviously not uh, experts by any means. We're just giving you the evidence we have found. It was really easy to sit here with all of this information in one go, too, as compared to being Years. the people on the case yes. while it's happening. Yes. So I can't even imagine like being the sheriff and like having to figure out like the mystery behind. I mean, obviously, like Ron's. Uh, Ron's death is weird and if like Karen Sue so let's say Karen Sue was the writer it still doesn't explain like how Ron's gun went off there's also I and maybe this is more conflicting information but I think on both Unsolved Mysteries and 48 Hours they mentioned that when Ron died when he got that phone call Karen Sue and Mary Gillespie were on vacation together. They were driving to Florida. So there would have been no way for them to like, I got to make a phone call. Yeah. Unless she stopped at like a gas station and used the payphone to call home and say this. But, but why would you say that to your brother? Right. Like that, you recognize her voice. Well, that, I mean, that's the theory that he, he, Oh, he knew who the person was. This is this is now taking on like my biggest pet peeve with Shakespearean stories of why didn't you just say like the blatant thing and ask the question then? Because if like Beth called me and was just like, hey, I'm in your front yard. I'm the writer. I know what you're doing. And I recognized her voice. I would just go, Beth, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? This is stupid. I would not charge off into the night drunk. Drunk. drunk which that's another thing too why was he drinking so heavily if he's not a drinker yeah i don't know they also on the 48 hours they had beverly ease who's a forensic handwriting expert look at the letters and so she looked for distinct writing patterns and similarities and she said that the g's in these letters look like the number six and that that's unusual so that would be fair. That's one I, thing. I had a hard time reading yeah. some of them. Um, and then there's an instance of the like zip code. There are these threes or twos. It could be either one of them. It looks like he was unsure. Whoever the sender, the writer was, mm-hmm. was unsure of who, like what, the if it was a three or a two, like three, one, one, three or mm-hmm. two, one, one, two. And so she found letters that um paul had written to family members where he had made this similar like mistake or change so in her mind she said she would go to court and swear in a bible that it's paul who wrote these she she said these patterns are like two the, the g's that look like sixes and this weird mistake is too much similarity for her she says that she would be willing to testify that it's him but she also admits that there are patterns that don't look like his patterns. So she's she's pretty sure of herself, but, you know, she would not say, you know, well, I have an explanation for that because she doesn't have an explanation for right. that. She also said that his fingerprints were on the letters that were postmarked while he was in prison. That's weird. And hundreds of letters were sent out during that time, but there's... There's no way he could have sent them or got them out. So that's where the theory that maybe he wrote them all ahead of time and had someone else mail them came from. And then in the drunk history episode at the end, (laughs) they 
uh, decided they were going to solve the mystery. And Georgia and the host of Drunk History theorized that Mary wrote the letters herself. Oh, that's a spicy take. Yeah. And so they, they said she's a bus driver. Right. Kids talk. Right. This would have been prime way to get all of this gossip and information on people's lives without anybody suspecting it by just listening to these kids on her bus route every day. All right. That's a fair point. But then the question is, why would she accuse herself of having an affair? Maybe to throw her husband off the scent of an affair that was happening. And she could be like, this is so crazy. I can't believe that someone thinks I'm having an affair. That's so wild, Ron. Why would anyone think that? Like you, you wouldn't think that, would you? See, I'm getting away with it. I yeah. And that that's where that she stole the gun from her brother-in-law to then stage an attempt on her life to also make it. Well, seem like I guess it's not that would her. also explain how she was able to unbooby the booby exactly. trap. Um, because you know, like, what are the chances that she was able to take that off without the gun going off? And the, like, how many other signs were booby trapped and nobody knew? Like, it's weird that it was just that one. The one, the one she was like, I'm so fed up with this. I need to. But then at, at the same time, if she were the writer, like, why is she writing that stuff about her kid? Like, I, as a mom, I could tell you if someone were writing stuff about my kid, especially like predatory type stuff, I would be, I would be a little feral. I listen. I'm not. A clinician, but people have these behavioral disorders that they do things because of the result it gets. So I, yeah, I mean, people are talking about her. I, you know, it's hard to say. We weren't we weren't there in 1976, so we don't know the dichotomy of like their lives in this small town. But you know, to have an affair with a superintendent as a bus driver, like. Can you imagine that like power dynamic? Like, I don't know. I always, we, we grew up in what is considered sort of a small town uh, type feel. And I always considered like the superintendent, like kind of top dog, right? They're getting the most money and stuff like that. And then like a bus driver is having an affair with them. Um, I did want to say there's also two other uh, turns and mysteries. I want uh, further things to that makes this mysterious is uh, in the 1990s, a new suspect emerged because in 1993, a prison inmate named Thomas Lee Dillon sent a letter to the Columbus dispatch claiming responsibility. So he wrote the Circleville letters. He had a history of violent behavior. It was already serving a life sentence of murder. So he was already imprisoned and he said that he did it. The authorities did investigate his claim and found several, several similarities between his writing style and the letters however they could not conclusively link him to the crimes so he was never charged and then this is the one i was remembering but so in 2006 uh, a former police officer named james renner began investigating the case um he grew up in circleville and he began to uncover new evidence and interviewed several individuals who claimed to have knowledge of the case his investigation led him to a new suspect, former school superintendent named Dwight L. Bowman. According to Renner, Bowman had a motive for sending the letters as he had been fired from his position as superintendent and had a grudge against several of the individuals who received the letters. However, Bowman died in 2009, so the authorities were unable to question him. So, 
I'll throw two more theories in the in the pot. I can tell you, like, since the forty eight hours episode, which is newer, like, there's still things being written about uh the Circleville letters. Like, this is still like a mystery. People are still discussing. It's still something that like CBS News wrote about like in 2022 yeah and at this point honestly i mean so many of these people involved in this have since passed away that like there is a possibility that we just will never have an answer for this because that person took it to their grave you know so it there's it's drunk history season five episode seven if you want to watch the silly one 48 hours season 35 episode 18 and then the unsolved mysteries if you just type in unsolved mystery circleville letters you will undoubtedly find it on youtube right are you are you wrapping up are you ready to talk about some pumpkins or <laughs> <laughs> some 1200 pound pumpkins absolutely um i was just gonna say uh you know there are other people so besides the cast of characters which i hate saying that because this is true this is a true story this is true crime but besides the people we discussed like other citizens in circleville because hundreds of letters were sent out were sent threatening letters so then the question is is like you know your life is essentially being like upended a little bit because you're getting this like letter about your kid things like like I'm going to shoot your your child in the head and stuff like that and like I just can't imagine it, that would be the only thing like if I still if I lived in Circleville and I like my parents grew up in that or something like that like you almost want to know because it's like people can't be writing that kind of stuff even though let's be honest on the internet people write that kind of stuff every day it's called reddit or just anonymous comments on YouTube. Burner accounts. Love it. Almost a precedent for that, but more harmful because it resulted in murder or death, I, depending on your take on Ron's at, untimely at least, end. At least a death and one attempted murder. Yes. Um. So, yeah. Thank you, Circleville, for, you know, having this grisly history with like such a joyous occasion like the pumpkin uh fest uh which has been going on a really really long time since 1901 so i guess we'll we'll end on a light note yeah it says a it started in well this is 1903 but in the early in the very early years of the 1900s they started it and then like every year it sort of grew and grew and they they keep it it's free there's no entrance for it they have like a world record for the world's largest pumpkin pie which uh, i would like to try on there i feel like it would be so gross though sitting out for people to look at it by the time yeah, you could eat it Yeah, that's true i guess i just want to see a ginormous pie but i also love pumpkin pie yeah it was 14 feet in diameter 360 pounds of sugar 795 pounds of pumpkin 60 pounds of powdered milk, 60 dozen eggs, 75 gallons of water, 400 pounds of flour, 15 people to mix, and 10 hours to bake. Oh, my God. And they have, like, a contest for how, the largest how they, pumpkins. I can't, how do they bake it? Like It has to oven? be some kind of, like, either industrial oven or, like, an outdoor specialty oven yeah, of some yeah. kind. 10 hours. Yeah. And uh, there's stats for the... 2022 largest pumpkin contest the largest pumpkin was 1,837 and a <laughs> half pounds That's a big boy 
Yeah. Uh, the second came in at 1,438 pounds and the third at 1,347 pounds. They also have a Miss Pumpkin contest, the Miss Pumpkin Show contest, which is like the normal pageants you find at these Mm -hmm. sort of festivals. And then they have a little Miss Pumpkin Show. Look how stinking cute these kids are. They're so adorable. And their tiny crowns. Yeah, they all have autumnal attire on, like with little pumpkins and stuff. That's so cute. Yeah, they're so adorable. Yeah, it's like a fair. They have rides. It is always the third wednesday through saturday in october so this year it is october 18th through 21st in 2023 nice so if you're interested in going to like a ginormous festival uh in circleville that would be that would be the place to go and the time to go i guess yeah just you know leave your weird blocky handwritten notes at home yeah we don't need that it's called the internet. Just use that now. Please don't. Don't do this. Don't start it again. We're not <laughs> we're not we encouraging don't con- anyone to do that. We don't encourage we don't encourage murder or mayhem. Uh no, just you know goose chaos with the the goose the goose is <laughs> stolen the post. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. <laughs> Read darling. My Christmas letters. <laughs> no worry, ladies. I've caught the culprit. <laughs> <laughs> this would be especially terrifying for you. <laughs> I would hate this. Yeah. It, a goose is a menace no matter where it is, in my opinion. I do not want it to be no stealing my personal no. information. Uh, one of my siblings calls uh, Canadian geese sentinels of Satan. And I call them that too now because it's good. They are the frat boys of the bird world. Yeah, that's fair. Because there's always one that like is more outspoken and tries to pick a fight with you. And then as soon as you acknowledge it, the rest of them are like, what up, bro? What up, bro? What up, bro? And then they all start chasing you. (laughs) God. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, stay, uh, stay spooky, our friends. And we hope you enjoyed listening about the, uh, one of the best kept mysteries in the state of Ohio. Yeah, please follow us on Instagram at Lake Erie. That's E E R I E Library, and uh, you know, subscribe, comment. That helps us. Yep, and uh, join us next time for some other spooky content. Hack. <laughs>